Well, I want you to imagine a situation, imagine a situation uh, where you have a chance, you have an opportunity uh, to spend some time with an expert, an expert in the field, uh, in a field that you are very interested in, in learning about, the, uh, a field that you're very interested in growing in. Uh, so let's suppose that you have taken up an interest in golf, and you are at the driving range, and uh, there you are hitting golf balls, and Tiger Woods happens to see you hacking away at that ball, and instead of laughing and deriding or ignoring you, uh, he stops what he's doing, and he comes over, and he wants to help you out. Now, I think at the very beginning, you would be extremely excited. Imagine how excited you would be. Uh, wow, I can't believe this is really happening. Yeah, one, he's talking to me. Uh, he's noticing me. He's stopping by. Uh, I can't believe this is happening. And he starts correcting your grip, and he, he starts helping you with your backswing, and that's when it hits you. Uh, what's hitting you? Well, not an epiphany, uh, not some sort of sudden realization or something. Um, Tiger must have drank coffee and ate onions and finished it off with something even nastier before he came over and talked with you. And what hit you is his terrible breath. And suddenly you need you need space. Uh, you, you need to get out of there. You need oxygen, and you start backing away, and, and you offer him a, a mint, and he, he says, no, thank you. And you offer him a piece of gum, and he still says, no, thanks, and he just keeps barreling in. Well, I don't know what you do in that situation in reality, but for the sake of our illustration, you know, suddenly you, you need to get out of there, don't you? Uh, you need to go to the bathroom suddenly. You, you have an appointment. You're dog needs to go to the vet. I don't know what's happening, but you, you are uh, you're desperate to get out of that situation. Now, I'm sure Tiger Woods could help you. I'm sure he would be fabulous at helping you with your backswing and your grip and, and everything else, but do you want anything to do with him? Do you want to be around him? Do you want his help? Do you appreciate his uh, participation in your life, we'll say? Well, you, the answer would be not like this. Not like this. Not in these circumstances. Not, the, not this way. Uh, now, sometimes Christians can, can mean well. Sometimes we can have the best of intentions. Uh, but the way that we go about it the way that we carry ourselves, the, how we do it, uh, our attitude, it, it turns people away. They lack graciousness. And so they could be saying or trying to do the very best of things, but that's not how it comes across. And it really is the difference between intent and impact. Um, Intent is what I want to do. Impact is what I actually do. Uh, 
here's a very simple illustration. Let's suppose I want to hang a picture on my wall. That's my intention. And so I get out my nail and I get out my hammer to hammer a nail into the wall. And instead of gently pulling back the hammer and gently nailing that little nail into the wall, I instead take out a big railroad spike and I take a full-fledged sledgehammer and I smash the wall. Um, and I've intended to, to hang a picture. I've intended to put a nail in the wall. And instead, what I've done, the impact that I've made, is not a nail in the wall, but a big hole in the wall. So intent is what I want to do. Impact is what I actually do. Uh, intent is how I think or feel about a situation. Impact is how I actually make other people feel. And there could be a really a world of difference. Hopefully there's not, but there can be. Uh, Tiger Woods wanted to help. But in our uh, silly illustration, Tiger Woods' bad breath ruined his intentions. Graciousness is about creating the right impact. Graciousness is about using the right size nail and the right size hammer, uh, doing it with the, the, right care, uh, the right attitude. Uh, graciousness is not about what we, we do so much as how we do it. Now, graciousness is what we are going to be talking about for the next seven or eight weeks uh, in this class. Uh, and we're, we're going to be going through a book called Graciousness, Tempering Truth with Love. Uh, the author is John Crotz. Um, John Crotz is a pastor in Georgia. Uh, pastor John actually preached at his, uh, at his church, uh, well, probably quite a few years ago when the ARPCA GA was down there. Um, so John Crotz is going to be our author, and our guide for this book, Graciousness, Tempering Truth with Love. Now, today, this morning, I want to talk about why this is important and then talk about the graciousness that we need. Oh, what does it do? What is good about it? What is helpful about it? So why is this important in the graciousness that we, we need? Well, those are the two big points that I want to talk about. Uh, why is this important? My answer is this, because God cares about more than just the words you say or the things that you do. He cares about how you say those words or the attitude that you have toward others. Graciousness is, is a is about more than just what you say or do. It has a lot more to do with how you say the things that you do. God does not just care about the very things that you do. He cares about the heart behind it, the attitude behind it, the attitude towards others that is behind it. So Paul in, in the book of Ephesians says, speak the truth in what? In love. Speak the truth in, in love. Not just speak the truth. Speaking the truth is good. But even speaking the truth can be bad. If you do it in the wrong way. It can have a bad impact. Uh, 
John in his gospel says that Jesus Christ was full of grace and truth. He was full of grace and truth. Not just truth, but full of grace. And not just full of grace, but he was also full of truth. And so it's, it's not enough to be full of truth. It's not enough to speak the truth. Uh, it is good to be zealous for the truth. But even that is not enough. That is not enough. Truth needs to go down on the inside. Uh, so 1 Corinthians chapter 8, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Paul says, the man who thinks he knows something does not yet know know it as he ought to know. He does not yet know as he ought to know. Uh, This is talking about the attitude in which you carry your knowledge. So you say, I know this, and you're proud about it. You're boasting about it, and you're telling others about your, your, your possession of this truth. And that attitude, that the way that you are carrying your truth, Uh, Paul says it's clear that you do not know that truth as you ought to yet. Uh, Because truth really understood leads to a gracious disposition toward others. Truth really understood. Truth really understood and really believed rubs the rough, harsh edges off of a person. It rubs off, it's like a kind of sandpaper that takes off the condescending attitude toward others, the the critical spirit towards others, the kind of acidic way of holding that truth, of, of, of declaring that truth, that instead of inviting people in, uh, is like bad breath that drives you away, that makes people take a step back, that turns people off from what you are saying. So Jesus spoke the truth. He loved the truth. He he spoke nothing but the truth. Uh, He said, I only say what my father has told me, has taught me uh, to say. There was a one-to-one correlation between what Jesus said and the truth. But look at who is all around Jesus. Look at the people who are drawn to Jesus. Look at the way that this his the way that he speaks this truth and the way that he was uh, attracted people to him. So, who's there? Uh, well, like moths to a flame, sinners are there. Sinners are there. Tax collectors, prostitutes, Rustic fishermen, remember, uh, the, the Sanhedrin were surprised and shocked uh, with the way that Peter and John spoke because they hadn't grown up and they hadn't been trained in their schools. Uh, they, they were just nobody, rustic fishermen, salt of the earth kind of people, salt of the earth soldiers. Uh, Jesus' whole manner and, and what he said drew people to him, drew sinful people to him, drew hurting people, simple people to him. 
we, we sing that, that wonderful line that you have the true and perfect gentleness. No harshness hast thou and no bitterness. To taste Jesus is not to taste something bitter or someone bitter. It's to taste someone sweet. To, to touch him was not to touch something that was harsh, but something that, was, that brought comfort. He was full of grace and truth. Now, this is why this is important, because this is the way Jesus was, and this is what the Lord is seeking to build in us. Not only in us singularly as individuals, but as a congregation. Ephesians 4 talks about the whole body working together and using their gifts, and them as a body, us as a congregation, growing up together into Christ. So not only as individuals are we becoming more like him, but as a congregation, there should be a more of an atmosphere, more of a culture of grace. And that's where you can tell people are becoming like Jesus. They love the truth, and yet the way they hold it, people are drawn to it. Why is this important? Because 1 Corinthians 13, 1-3, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I'm just noise. A resounding gong or a clanging cymbal, that's either meaningless noise or annoying noise. Uh, that's all, that's, so you can speak with even the tongues of men and all of angels, and, and if you don't have love, it, it's not good. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and I, if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. In other words, love is gracious. It's gracious towards other people. It's open-hearted. It's generous towards other people. That's why this is important, because this is the true measure of religion. This is the true measure of religion. This is the true measure of our heavenly-mindedness, of our, we are now being prepared to live in heaven, because heaven is a world where people are gracious. Faith and hope will will disappear. They'll be swallowed up into sight and into reality. But heaven is a world of love. Are we being fitted to live there? Well, am I generous? Am I patient? Am I kind? Am I gentle? Am I not rude? But I'm considerate of others. Well, those are the kind of people that live in heaven. 
So why is this important? Because this is the true measure of religion. This is the true measure of whether I am, what I'm doing amounts to anything. This is the true measure of my sanctification. Not by the, how many books I've read. Not by all of the truth I know and understand. But whether these things are working in my heart. It's no good to have all the right doctrine and have a closed, unloving spirit. It does no good to have right opinions about anything and have an ungentle, proud spirit. We can excuse a lot of our sinfulness by saying, but I meant well, or but I'm right. I'm right. So it doesn't matter how I act. They're wrong. They need to change. But you know what? God is not only interested in what we say and do, but he is interested in how we say and do it. And his, we are his ambassadors to a watching world. And it's not enough for us to be filled with messages, with his messages, but he wants us to speak them in such a way and carry ourselves in such a way that it reflects well on our king, the one who has sent us. So he's, the world is watching us to see not only what we do and say, but how we do it and how we say it. I'm afraid that many times the world is not so much offended by what we say, but by our attitude and even our hypocrisy when we say it. And so this is important. Now, let's then just move on to the, the greater part of this lesson is, let's talk about this graciousness, what we need, uh, the graciousness that we need. What, is it, what does it do? What does it create? Um, what is it, why is it so helpful? Why is it so useful? Why is it so good? Well, Let's have another illustration. Let's suppose there's two very serious Christian men. They're meeting at a coffee shop. They are having a discussion. And as they discuss the things of the Lord, they, they're talking about church or whatever, uh, the, the, the conversation moves towards what, what church should be like on Sunday. What church should be like on Sunday? And we have two people here. We have Joe and we have Bob. Joe is convinced that the church meets on the Lord's Day to reach unbelievers with the gospel. So Joe uh, thinks that the church meets to reach unbelievers with the gospel. Uh, Bob, on the other hand, believes that the church is, is it, it exists so believers can gather to worship God and build each other up. And unbelievers are our welcomed guests. Well, they are only welcome guests. Now, both of them are able, to, in some ways, to support their position from the Bible. Uh, both of them have verses that they're, they're, they're painting, they're using, they're pulling out and saying, well, have you thought about this? This verse, this text. Um, and they go back and forth. But Bob... Remember Bob, Bob believes that church is for mainly for believers and not unbelievers. Bob gets more and more critical and argumentative, and Bob's tone of voice 
turns mocking and harsh. And Bob says that Joe's unbeliefs are no different than Joel Osteen's or some other celebrity shallow preacher. And Bob assumes he's right, and he impatiently finishes all of Joe's sentences. And he knows why Joe is saying what he's saying and what he's, where he's going with this. And so he answers Joe before he really understands and, and appreciates Joe's concerns. Have you ever had a conversation like that? Maybe you've talked like that. Well, let's just say that Bob's views are the correct one, which I, I think they are. Um, but the way, he, the way he carries on, the way he speaks those things, his attitude, his rudeness, undoes everything that he is seeking to accomplish. Uh, remember, intent versus impact. Maybe he intends to uh, convince Joe of his position, but what is the actual impact? What actually happens? Well, he wants Joe to understand a more biblical way of thinking. That's good. Those are good intentions, but what's the impact? Well, Joe probably doesn't soften his position at all, does he? Joe if this is me, I'm, I'm having a hard time listening to Bob. I'm having a hard time giving Bob any room, an inch. I'm having a hard time really opening my ears and my heart to what Bob is saying. Now, maybe I should. I probably should. I should be the bigger person. I should have the more humility. And, but Bob is not making this easy. Bob isn't making it easy. Bob isn't promoting instruction with pleasant words. If he's trying to build a fire, um, he might be using some good wood, but he's, he's doused it all with water, and it's, it's not going to work out. Uh, take your Bibles and turn to Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs 16, 21. Bob is not promoting instruction. Bob is not being gracious. And as smart and as knowledgeable as Bob is about his Bible, and he's holding the right doctrine, Bob is not wise. He's not being wise. We can be this way. We can have the right doctrine and we can be foolish about it. Look at Proverbs 16, 21. The wise in heart are called discerning. And pleasant words promote instruction. The, so just look at that very first part. The wise in heart are called discerning. Who do you think is calling this wise person discerning? Do you think he's calling himself that? No. Other people are calling him discerning. Uh, other, the, the people that he is talking to, they say, wow, that was really helpful. That was really helpful. You, you really get what I'm going through. You, you really took the time to listen, and that was, that was helpful, and that's it. I, I wasn't thinking of it like that before, but now that you've talked, oh, that was good. I see things a little differently now. Uh, and the wise in heart are called 
discerning. The people that they are talking to have this opinion of them. They say, you are discerning. You know what you're talking about. But why do they get that reaction? Why do they get that reaction? Why do people say that about them? Well, the second part is the answer. The second part, pleasant words promote instruction. They talk and people listen. It's not just what they say, it's how they they say it. It's intent versus impact. Um, Go down to verse 23. Uh, 1623. A wise man's heart guides his mouth and his lips promote instruction. Uh, Then the next verse, pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Wise men, wise men try to think of the very best, the most pleasant way of speaking. They're not boisterous. They're not opinionated. They're not proud. They're pleasant. Uh, They're not unasked for, giving their opinion. They're not holding out and talking long about things that they don't know. Their, Their hearts guide them. They try to think of the very best, most pleasant way of speaking. And, and I think that, to a great degree, is graciousness. It's graciousness. Uh, one author writes, Gracious speech is words and tones marked by pleasantness, kindness, the will to help, to encourage, and to convey regard. Now, that's an unusual way of talking, but so I want to, to convey Regard. Convey means to bring something to something. You have a conveyor belt. Uh, to convey means you're, you're bringing, you're showing them regard. You want them to receive in their hands and in their lap, this person regards me. This person considers me. This person is thinking about me. That's what a gracious person does. He, he makes other people realize he's thinking about them. He, he's, he, he's being considerate towards them. He's not rude towards them. It, it is pleasantness. It is being kind. It is having a desire to help and to be a blessing to another person. Um, someone else said this. I think this is Ted Tripp or Paul Tripp. Graciousness is an absence of deliberate aggravation and any kind of rabble-rousing. It is impregnated. Graciousness is pregnant with courtesy and love and humility and transparent sincerity. Transparent sincerity. It's not being harsh. It's not being critical. It's not being judgmental. Uh, Yes, sometimes we have to say things that are difficult and hard, and that's true. But we always begin with the most pleasant, gentle sweetness. Gentleness doesn't mean we're compromising the truth. 
gentleness keeps the truth from being compromised by harshness and insensitivity. Do you understand that? Being gentle does not compromise the truth. That's how a lot of people think. That if I am not absolutely adamant and violent about believing this, well, then that's saying the truth that, that what, it's not important. No. The exact opposite is actually happening. Gentleness keeps the truth from being compromised by harshness and insensitivity. Now, where does that come from? Well, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Uh, what's at the bottom of harshness and criticism? What's at the bottom of gentleness and winsomeness? Well, whatever is there, it's a, it's a, it starts in the heart. Jesus exposed the Pharisees, and he said, You brood of vipers, how can you, who are, how, how can you being evil, speak good things? That, that, that is an impossibility. A good man out of the good stored up in his heart brings forth good things. The evil man out of the evil stored up in his heart brings forth evil things. So what we say and how we say it, it shows in our, in our hearts. That's where it comes from. That's where graciousness begins. You're not putting on sweetness. You're not putting on gentleness. You're not putting on kindness. You're not putting on uh, a soft, pleasant disposition. You actually have those things in your heart. The Lord has so worked in you that the hard, stony, harsh, acidic heart that doesn't care what other people think and how they feel, I just want what I want. A new heart's been born in you. A new heart's been worked in you. And out of that new heart, you you speak differently. So what does this graciousness do? Four things. One, it builds people up. It builds people up. Why is this important and what does it do? One, one thing that graciousness really does, the impact that it has on other people is they are built up. They are not torn down. They are not worn out. They are built up. A lot of what first, in First Corinthians, Paul is answering a, a series of questions um, uh, the, the Corinthians had all these different questions for Paul, and, and so they must have written a letter to him. And, and so now, about half of, of 1 Corinthians is, is him answering the, these, these concerns. And, and you can see, he says, well, now concerning A, this, and now concerning B, uh, and C, and so forth. Uh, one of the questions was about food offered to idols. And, and 1 Corinthians 8.1 says, now about food sacrificed to idols... Um, We know that we all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Now, what was going on here, and I don't want to take too much time, but some of the Corinthian believers had real knowledge. These idols were not really gods. They were nothing. Uh, They weren't gods at all. And so he says, there's one Lord Jesus Christ through whom all things came and through whom we live. We know that. That's what he says. These idols are nothing. Jesus is the only one. But, he goes on, but not everyone knows this. And so for them, that food is defiled. 
And to eat it was to do something sinful. Now Paul's answer was to help them, to help the whole congregation move closer to the truth. He does explain, these idols are nothing. And it really is okay, in and of itself, to eat these things, eat this food. But that wasn't his primary concern. His primary concern was not doctrinal clarity and precision. He does care about that. I'm not putting one against the other. I am saying he does care about that. He does teach them. But that's not where he stops. He didn't say we can't have any unity until we all believe the exact same thing. And so the answer is everyone believe the exact same thing and that's it. No, sometimes, uh, well, here, here, this is, sometimes people say doctrine divides, and that's a wrong attitude. That's a wrong notion. Uh, but sometimes the tendency can be to overreact to that statement and to say, no, 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 the only way you can have unity is through exact doctrinal agreement. And I would say that that is true to a great degree. But that's not everything. If, if you believe all the same things, let's suppose that we have complete and utter doctrinal unity about everything, and yet we are being jerks towards each other, there can't be unity. It's, it isn't enough. And so Paul's first concern was, was not absolute doctrinal unity and agreement. It was how they were treating each other. It was how they were treating each other. Some of them had a lot of knowledge, but it was just divorced from love. And so they used their knowledge to tempt others and to, to hurt others. But that's not what graciousness does. It's sensitive to others. It's, it's sensitive to others' consciences. What are they thinking? How, how are they processing this? And love builds up. That's what graciousness does. Knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. Uh, we have to keep going. Secondly, graciousness is how we do mutual ministry within the body. It's how we do mutual ministry within the body. Uh, we don't have time to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Um, but in that passage, you see the body working all together. Everyone's using their gifts and affirming. Um, and, and this is how they build each other up into Christ but at the very heart of it, verse 15, it says, speak the truth, speaking the truth in love. That's how you do all of these things. So loving, gentle, encouraging, affirming, truth-telling is how we speak and act towards each other in such a way that we build each other up. Let me repeat that. Loving, gentle, encouraging, affirming, truth-telling that's how we do mutual ministry here. That's how we each serve each other. And when we are like that, people are going to want to be around us. That's where that new atmosphere and that, that wonderful kindness is flowing in a place. And we grow together and people get stronger together. Number three, what else? Graciousness trusts God to change others. Graciousness Trust God to change others. What are we doing when we yell at someone? What, when we're being shrill? 
and angry with someone, when we're attacking, 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 what are we doing? Well, uh, one thing we're not doing is we're not trusting the Lord to change that person. The anger of man does not bring about the righteousness that God uh, desires, the righteous life God desires. Uh, So Paul writes to Timothy, uh, and he says, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. Proverbs says, starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam, so drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. You don't have anything to do with it. Don't go into it. Uh, And Paul goes on, the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. And those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. And that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. I think you can hear the graciousness in in this passage. He's saying, be kind, be gentle, not resentful, don't be indignant, don't be abrasive, because the point is not to, for you to conquer your opponent. The hope is that they will come to their senses and that God will do something. So you're not trusting yourself. Graciousness requires that we actually be trusting the Lord. If we're not trusting the Lord when we're dealing with someone, we are going to be harsh and critical and shrill and angry and all the rest. So graciousness, you're you're trusting God. You're you're letting God work. Instead, you want God to bring change, and that's what we're looking for. Now, last of all, Graciousness wins a hearing for the gospel. It wins a hearing for the gospel. Uh, let me just read Colossians chapter 4, 5, and 6. Be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So what does wisdom look like toward outsiders? These might be your own children. What does wisdom look like toward outsiders? Well, you're ready for opportunities. Your head is up. Your eyes are open. You're ready for action. You're ready to say something. But when you talk, it's, it's pleasant. It's gracious. It's full of grace. It's seasoned with salt. Seasoned with salt was a figure of speech in, in that time of place that... It meant witty or clever in a pleasant, joyful sense. It, it, it was a way of speaking that created interest in what you were saying. For some reason, just the idea of, uh, you know, people would gather around Mark Twain to hear his stories. And it's not just the content of his stories, it was how he spoke them. They were seasoned with salt. They drew people in. They drew in interest. Paul is saying the way that we speak, we don't have to be like Mark Twain, but what we do need to do is have such a pleasant attitude, a winsomeness about us that people want to hear the gospel. They want to hear what you're saying. 
That's what we do when we're gracious. We invite people in to think with us. Graciousness has a wonderful and beautiful way of slipping past every defense. And we stir up their appetites. And so I want to hear more about that. I can't put my finger on it, but it is attractive. There's just something about that person. The smile, the kindness, the friendliness, the patience, the gentleness, the the just the winsome personality. I, I I don't maybe I don't believe what they're saying, but I really like them. So graciousness it builds people up. It's how the body grows up in Christ. It, it trusts God to bring change, and last, it opens doors for opportunity. Now we all need to grow in this grace of graciousness. It begins in the heart, and it begins, I think, primarily, or not even primarily. It grows as we grow in our appreciation of God's kindness and graciousness to us. When the Lord is sweet and gentle and kind and patient with us, and as we experience that, we go around, we turn around, and we do the very same thing to others. That's how you can know that you're forgiven, that you forgive others. That's how you can know that you've really experienced grace. Because now you're willing to be gracious towards others. He really is that kind and that patient and that cheerfully good to us. And that's why we can and that's why we should do the very same thing for others. Well, our time is up. Uh, we're dismissed.